Well, hey, let's uh, get into God's Word this morning. Um, uh, you can open up to uh, Psalm 145. Uh, we're, gonna, we're in the series that we're calling Pillars, and uh, we're going through some of the core uh, things that we hold together as a church, our, our values, and uh, these are the things that this church has been uh, built upon. Uh, we say that our foundation is Jesus Christ. This church is built upon Jesus Christ, but in His Word, He's given us some things that we are to be about, some, um, some rhythms, some priorities, some values, and so we call them pillars. Um, and for us, there's uh, five of them. And what we wanted to do is we uh, kind of start this year, we're going to get back into the book of John. We're walking through the gospel of John together. Uh, but what we wanted to do was just sort of say, ask the question, who are we and how are we living this out? And uh, if you were with us last week, I said something to the effect of like, you know, pillars are great. Core values are great, but they're not very helpful if all they do is exist in a document somewhere or if they are hanging on a wall somewhere or something like that. They're only helpful in so much as we live them out and exhibit them uh, together as a church, uh, together in our homes, uh, together in our lives, that, that these are not just values for us as a church, but these are values for us as, as people. And these are things that are um, most dear, most important uh, to us. And so last week, we began with the pillar of unceasing prayer. And we talked about what it is to pray, why we pray, the gift that prayer is, the promises of prayer, and a little bit of what prayer looks like. My hope and encouragement is that you have had a week of prayer and that it was a fresh reminder or maybe for some of you a, a new understanding of what prayer is and we want to engage in that. That's what tonight's all about. Hope you can make it to our prayer night as we uh, seek the Lord together in that way uh, corporately. Well, this morning we're going to continue and we're going to look at our second, um, second pillar in the series and that is unceasing uh, adoration. And uh, the reason that we say unceasing is because our adoration, our worship of Jesus is to uh, be ongoing and continual and, um, and, and that it is um, in a way, in a manner that is worthy of him. It's unashamed in, in, in how we do that. Uh, the way that we say that, the long-form version of that for us is this, that we lift high the name of Jesus Christ in worship. Uh, we're here to worship the Son of God. Uh, we're here to worship Jesus and our Savior, our King. And as we gather, that's what we've done this morning. We've engaged in that already. As we open up His Word, we're still continuing. Worship isn't just song. Worship is also the way that we interact with His Word, the way that we interact, our, our focus and understanding. We're going to unpack what worship is all about, but we lift high the name of Jesus Christ in worship. So how are we doing with this church? How, how, what kind of priority or what sort of uh, emphasis does this have on us? I just want to say at the outset that I think as a church that we are, um, this is a pillar for us. I mean, it is, uh, let's see, negative six degrees out there. I think it feels like negative 30 is what they're saying, right? Um, I don't know how they actually calculate that, but there's got to be some, some, I'm sure some of you can tell me the exact formula that they use for that. But there's a reason that you all got up this morning. There's a lot of other places you could be, but you're here. You're in the Lord's house. You're here worshiping Jesus. We've been engaging together. And, and so clearly, I'm, I'm talking to people that understand that this is important. You don't just get up and kind of do this uh, for no reason. And so what is it if, you know, you think about all the time that we're going to engage in worship together over the course of your lifetime, the amount of time that you'll spend um, in a service or with God's people or, or even on your own engaging in worship, we should have a pretty good understanding of what worship is all about. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to look at God's Word and see a picture of worship, and we're going to do that in the Psalms this morning. Psalm 145 is a psalm of worship. 
It's a psalm of praise. It's kind of this dual category song, uh, psalm. A lot of the psalms sort of land in a particular category. This one could also be a wisdom psalm for the way that it's written. It's this acrostic. But, but the theme, the focus from start to finish is one of worship. It's a song of King David. It's a song of praise. And so what we want to do is we want to walk through this. And what we're going to see is, is four examples of what worship is to the people of God. What is it that we have been, this example that we've been given of, of worship and how do we engage in worship? Because we want to do it well. And this is, uh, the, again, this value for us as a church and how we uh, do that. So before we go any further, let me pray and just ask that God would teach us as we open up his word uh, together. Lord, we thank you that we can gather in this way. Lord, we thank you for a warm room and for a hot coffee and for um, seats that we can sit in and people that we can engage with. But Lord, we're not here for any of that. God, we are gathered in this place and in this way for you. Lord, we've already done that. We're doing that now. We wanna lift high uh, the name of Jesus here. Lord, because you are worthy of our worship. God, you are worthy of our um, adoration. And so as we turn our attention to your word, God, I pray that you would teach us, give us a greater understanding, a fresh reminder, Lord, of what worship is all about. Lord, would we learn something from you today? Uh, God, would you convict us uh, where it's needed? Um, Lord, encourage us. Um, God, where that's needed, and we just pray that you will uh, direct our time uh, through your spirit. Um, God, in your son, and we pray this uh, in your name, amen. Well, what we wanna see again is these uh, four ways that we uh, worship, and we're gonna see this great example of it. What, can I just read the psalm in its entirety? It's a great psalm of, of worship. I said it's written by uh, King David, uh, but let's walk through it together. We'll have it on the screen. You can follow along as I read. It says this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of your might, your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth your fame, the fame of your abundant goodness, and I shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of your glory, of your kingdom, and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food, their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him and all the wicked he will destroy. 
My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. As I said, this is a psalm of praise. And to kind of set us up, I think it's helpful to understand the context or sort of what it is. And, and this psalm, we don't get to see it here in the English, but um, if you uh, were looking at it in the original language of, of the Hebrew that it was written in, it is an acrostic. That is that every verse begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Similar, we looked at a couple weeks ago, Psalm 119, which has each letter of the alphabet um, with several verses. This one has each letter of the alphabet with one verse, but it kind of goes in order, and all of these things have this movement and this motion to it. This psalm was a particularly important psalm to the people of God. The Jewish people would use this psalm. They would read it twice in the morning as they worshiped, and then once in the evening. So three times a day, they would try and speak and recite and, 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 and worship through this psalm here. And so we have this psalm of David written to lead the people in worship and respond in that. And what we see here is, is the way that we worship is informed and kind of examples given here in this. And let me show you the first way. It's this, is that we worship the Lord for who he is. We see as the people of God are responding, they're, they're worshiping the Lord for who he is. That is his nature, his character for um, his very being. And you see this right here at the beginning. It says, I will extol you. That word extol, um, I, if you're like me, you, I had to look that up. I don't use extol all that often. Show of hands, anyone use extol this week in their daily conversation? Anyone? Anyone? No one? Okay. Whew. I was so excited to see and hear where you use the word extol. We don't use that word often, but it's an exuberant praise. Right? There's, there's some, some force, some passion, some excitement behind it. I will extol you. I will exuberantly praise you, my God and the King. That article is dropped here in this translation, but it, it's this and Psalm 98 are the only two places. The Psalms speak often of God as King. Here in Psalm 98, it speaks of God as the King. So here you have King David. He's saying, listen, God, you are my God, my God, and you are the King. Here you have the king saying, you are really the king. That's a right understanding, a right response to who he is. And he says, I will bless your name forever and ever. I don't know about you, but whenever I come across this, what does it mean that when we bless the name of God, when we bless God, we started our service by singing this song of bless God. And this understanding is super helpful for us because the Psalms are filled with calls to bless the name of the Lord or to bless God. Oftentimes we think of God blessing us, but what does it mean when, God, when we bless God? Is it the same? No, it is not. Right? When God blesses us, he gives us something that we do not have. Right? So maybe he strengthens you. Maybe he makes you wise or gives you wisdom. That would be a blessing from God. He's able to come and, and to give to you something that you need and that, you, uh, that makes you better. It enhances your situation. There is nothing that we can bring or give to God that makes him better or enhances his situation. But in a similar way, when we come, we are giving to him something that he is deserving of. We are... Uh, giving forth, pouring forth praise. So whenever you see the phrase, bless God, you can think about praising God. I will praise God. And, and it's not just praise God. It says praise or bless your name forever and ever. I want to kind of dig into this a little bit more. We saw this a little bit last week. We looked at and mentioned that the name of someone is super important to them. It, it captures their character and their very nature. 
That's not something that is still this case today. And so if I could, I'd love to just try to drill in a little further because I think this helps us understand what's happening here as David and the people of God are blessing the name of the Lord. You see, this was a very important concept in the ancient Near East, when and where this was written. The name that you were given, the name that you bore, reflected both your nature and character of the person. And so in knowing the name, you sort of knew the person. Conceptually, it was equal to the very essence of being of that person. This is kind of the idea that's contained in a name. I said last week that names for us are a little different. We don't necessarily, you can't tell much by the name. You might be able to infer a few things, right? I always love it. New parents especially try and pick out names. They want to be super creative, right? Find that unique name no one else is going to have. And then that child gets to kindergarten and like seven other people, right, always have the same name. You're like, how does this happen? I don't, I don't understand the, the mechanics of how that works, but it does, right? Names kind of come and go. They ebb and flow. Like there's certain names that are super in right now and they'll be out in a little bit. And, um, you know, I can give an example of that. I had a neighbor um, in North Carolina who was, um, he was pretty old. Um, him and his wife lived next door to us. And, and I can't remember what there was, a, like some story I was telling. Actually, I was reminded of this because it popped up on my feed recently, this little, you know, you get those memories. And uh, my next door neighbor brought us a five-gallon bucket of radishes that he had grown in his garden. Now, I don't know how many radishes you go through in our house, but I was so confused with what to do with a five-gallon bucket of radishes. I pulled them out, and one of them, I mean, it's like softball-sized radishes. I'm like, what are we supposed to, like, thank you, but I think I asked him, like, do you have any recommendations of what to do with these? Like, what are you, <laughs> did you forget about them? Or what, yeah, what's happening right now? But I, I think I was relaying that story to someone at the time, and, and I said, yeah, well, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty old. Um, he's kind of getting up there in, in age, and they're like, how old? I'm like, well, his name's Virgil, okay? My neighbor's name was Virgil. So just knowing and hearing that name, right, you know that he had some years. Like that name hasn't, I don't know if you know any other Virgils. That's the only other Virgil I've known. Um, I've only read about the name Virgil in like, you know, history books. And so, um, you know, we can infer some things, but that doesn't tell you anything about Virgil. Like you don't know anything about him other than that, yeah, he was probably named a while ago, right? Not so in this time. The name that someone was given captured their nature and essence. Let me give you a couple examples from Scripture because I think this is going to help us understand why it's so important when we worship and we praise. We said it this morning. We praise, oh, praise the name of the Lord forever. Here's an example that we see is that when you would speak someone's name, you would sort of speak them into a being. It kind of acknowledged their nature and essence. And so um, Jacob uh, is, a, is a character... Uh, Individual we read about in Scripture, he was one of two twi uh, twins, um, him and his brother Esau. Uh, when they were born, um, Jacob grabbed at the heel of Esau during birth, and so he was given the name Jacob, and Jacob means he usurps, right? Trying to kind of take over. But later in life, what we see is this name comes to fruition in his life. Later, he tricks Esau into selling him his birthright. And he also tricks his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that was to be given to the firstborn. So here you see Jacob, he usurps, doing that very thing. It was kind of his nature and being. But then you see that God meets with him, and there's this encounter that he has. And after it, after he wrestles with God, God changes his name to Israel. Israel means he has struggled with God. Right? So God renames him. No longer is he the one who usurps, but he's the one who has struggled with God. He gave him a new name. And he's speaking into being this, this kind of new path, this new place that he had for Jacob. 
You see, uh, another example that we see this kind of happening is in creation, God brought animals to the first human, to Adam. It says that he, he made the plants, he made the animals, and he brought the animals before Adam. And whatever the human called every living creature, that was its name. Right, so he's giving them these names, and in doing so, it's this really special picture of God as creator inviting, bringing humanity into this process, and in, and in giving him this, this opportunity to name the creatures, he was participating in that work of creation, and naming them is, again, kind of, again, fulfilling this being, sort of giving all of this. And so now you have another example in uh, Exodus, where Moses encounters God in the form of a burning bush. God appears to Moses in the burning bush, and he gives Moses some instruction. He says, I want you to go back to Pharaoh in Egypt and, and tell him to let my people go. God's people had been taken into slavery and for a long time had been in bondage and captivity. And so he, was, he sent Moses back and he said, go and tell them to let, tell them to let my people go. And Moses asked the question, he says, well, who should I say sent me? Like when they ask for the name of the God that's making this request, who should I tell them that it is? And what Moses was asking in that moment was not just, well, what's, what's the name, but rather, what's the character and nature of the God that's making this request? And what does God reply? He says, tell them that it is I am that I am. See, that is from these words that were the Israelites derive that personal name of God as Yahweh. God reveals himself. He gives himself this name, I am that I am, and this is the self-naming words of existence. You see, he's able to say, I am that I am. He's, there, he's, he's this, this self-existent being of greatness, of power. And so we come back to the text and understanding all of that and speaking the name of someone and understanding the name, notice it says, I will bless your name. What is the name of God? It is I am that I am, the self-existent, exalted being. Forever and ever, every day I will bless you. Praise your name forever and ever. And here we see it, great is the Lord. See it in all caps, the, the name of God, Yahweh, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. So here's the place that worship begins. Worship begins with worshiping God for who he is. In his very nature, in his very character, God is worthy of worship. Another name for worship is worthship. God is the most worthy of all of the honor, praise, glory, adoration that can be given. There is no one above him. There is no one else like him. There is no one else that can do what he does. There is no one else that is, 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 is in him as is similar to him in nature and character. And so as we praise him for his greatness, our praise should be great, right? It says, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. So who is God? Well, he is the self-existent I am that I am. He is God, he is king, and he is great. His greatness is unsearchable, it's unfathomable. We begin here who God is. Much of the songs that we sing, much of the worship that we give should express to God who he is. God, you are Great, you are good. God, you are king. It doesn't stop there. It goes on. It doesn't not only talk about who God is, but also what he has done. That's the second thing that we see. We see that worship the Lord. We worship the Lord for what he has done. 
Notice where the text goes in verse 4. It says, One generation shall commend your works to another, your works, what you have done, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, I will meditate on, or on your wondrous works, I will meditate. What will speak of the might? Their works will speak of the might. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth your fame and abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. You see, here we have examples of what God has done. So not only do we worship God for who he is, but also what he has done. And in this passage, we see many things of what he has done. He has displayed his might, right? It says mighty acts. He has done things that are filled with wonder, your wondrous works. He has shown his greatness, his awesome deeds. I says, I will declare your greatness, it goes on to talk about his relationship with us, with his people. It says the Lord is gracious and merciful, that the, the Lord has shown his grace, that he has expressed his mercy, that he is patient, that he is slow to anger, that he is loving, he's abounding in steadfast love, that the Lord is good and has shown good. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. If we skip ahead or scan our hides ahead to verse 14, this section talks about all the ways that God has worked out of care and concern for his people. Do you see it there? Look in your text. At, look in your copy of scripture. Verse 14, it says, The Lord upholds all who are falling. He raises up those who are bowed down. It says he gives them food in season. He satisfies them. He's kind. He's near them. All who call on him. He's near to them. He fulfills those desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries and saves them, reinforcing the promise we looked at last week, right? That God, when we call to him, he hears and he will answer. It says here, he hears the cries and saves them. And he preserves those who love him. See, God is showing care and concern to his people, to those whom he's called to himself, to those who he has gathered to himself. And you see, we need to have as part of our worship expression, declaration of what God has done. One of the cool moments, it was kind of this un, sort of scripted, unplanned, but it sort of fell, um, kind of fell into place. And it was one of the coolest moments of our entire Christmas celebration uh, for our family. Um, let me give a little bit of the backstory to unexplain, explain what happened. But um, we have this tradition, and we started it years ago in our house, that whenever somebody has a birthday... Um, that birthday boy, birthday girl, uh, we go around the uh, table at the family dinner. We always have a special dinner. You get to choose what you want, get to pick the dessert, the whole thing, you know. Um, but we always take time during that birthday dinner to share two things. Everyone shares two things that they appreciate or most um, admire about the person they're most thankful for or whatever. And we're trying to teach our kids how to like encourage each other, right? So we have some ground rules. Um, we had to outlaw a few of them because um, at times like, you know, some there's some re reoccurring kind of things that would be said, like, oh, you're nice, or I like your hair, or, you know, things like that. And we're like, okay, well, I think we can go a little deeper than that. Like, it's good that they're nice and good that they have good hair, but, you know, what's something that really is who they are, you know, that you appreciate? And so it's just a special time. Every time it's somebody's birthday, and I look forward to it. I mean, my kids go around, and wife, my, Bree, my wife, I mean, she's, she's expressing as well, you know, and so um, we don't 
like do it with a bunch of guests or visitors. If you all wanted to come over on my birthday and do that, I mean, I'm not going to say no, but like, it's kind of a family thing. Like we just go around and we sort of share two things. We all go around twice and we share these things. Well, we were having, we always do a big dinner on Christmas and we were having our Christmas dinner together with the fam. My um, wife's parents were in as well and we're sitting down for dinner and, and we said, you know, it's today, and I know it's not actually Jesus's birthday, okay, so you don't have to write me an email or something like that. I know that Christmas day is not actually when Jesus was born, but it's the day that we choose to celebrate his birth, right? And so we're celebrating the birth of Jesus on that day. And so we said, hey, it's Jesus' birthday. Why don't we go around and say two things that we are so thankful for or appreciate about Jesus? And the the fam was all in on it. All the kids are like, let's go for it. And so we start going around. And let me just tell you, it was so cool what happened there in that moment to hear my five-year-old son, my 10-year-old daughter, my 15-year-old daughter, my wife, my in-laws, as we all express different things that we appreciate, that we have seen, that we have watched God do, Jesus do in our life to us, how he's shown himself. And it was just this little moment of worship right there in the middle of our our dinner. And it was so special. You can totally steal that. Like if you want to do that next Christmas and you want, or you want to do that for your birthdays, we got it from somebody else, the birthday thing. We adopted it for Jesus. And it was like just so great. But here's the thing. I don't share that to you so that you can kind of tuck that away for next Christmas. Like you could do that today as you go from here and you're eating this afternoon or, or you're eating tonight and, and, and you could go around the table this week. You could say, you don't have to do it at a mealtime. You could just say, hey, can we just talk about what, what's something that we're thankful for that, that, that God's done lately to us? You see, what happened in that moment, it was so cool, is that as we were going around, I was so encouraged to hear the way that God had, or what was special to each of my children, right? And it reminded me, and what we had there in that moment was this little time of praise and worship, because we're acknowledging and seeing all the things that God has done, being reminded of it, and that like, was leading me toward greater worship and greater praise there in that moment. You see, when we recount the way that God has worked in the past, it leads us into a place of worship, recognizing that he's going to work that way in the future, Right? And so can I just encourage you to be intentional about the way that you recount how God has worked in the past? So can I just ask you a couple questions? How has God worked in your youth? Some of you, that is like right now, you're living out your youth, and so you can, how's God working now? Some of you, that youth was a, a, however you want to define it, that was a while ago, right? How has God worked in your youth? Think back, remember to your years as a teen, as a child, How has God worked in your early adult years? Can you remember, can you recount the ways that God has shown himself faithful to you? That he's done some things, that he's blessed you in some ways, that he's helped you? What about lately? How has God worked in the past year? How has he worked in the past week? Do you recognize the way that God has done some things in your life? How has he worked in your heart? Is there things that he's convicted of you? Is there things that he's helped grow in you that he's maybe encouraged you with? Spiritually, has he moved in you? How has he saved you? Right. Ultimately, I mean, the ultimate work that God has done for us is he sent his son that we might be reconciled in our relationship to him, that sin might be forgiven, Right. that we might be saved from our place of death and sin. How has God worked in your heart? How has he provided for you? How has he given you what you need? 
I've never, I've tried to journal so many times. In fact, if you need a journal, um, I've got tons that I have collected over time that honestly I don't think I'm gonna use because I'm just not great at that. But I do, I do take, at times I'll take notes on my phone or I'll um, just on a scratch sheet of paper and, and it's not something I keep, but I will try and recount or just in prayer. I'll just start thinking about seasons or times or situations and just think about all the ways that God has worked. You see, as we come to this place, as we gather in worship, as we sing songs, it is so informative and helpful for our worship if we think about all the things that God has done for us. We worship God for who he is. We worship God for what he has done. And here's this picture of when and how we worship. Check this out. In um, uh, verses 10 through 13, we see this, that the, we worship the Lord with all the saints. It's not something that we just do together. This was a psalm that was written for the people of God to move them toward worship together. Notice what it says in verse 10. It says, all your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Who are the saints? The saints are the people of God, those called to him, chosen by him, blessed by him. And so this today would be the church of Jesus Christ. This was God's people. This is still God's people. All your saints shall bless you. We can be informed by this. It says in verse 11, they shall speak, they being the saints, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power and make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. You see following that line there in verse 13, it has this refrain, the Lord is faithful in all his works and kind in all, or in all his words and kind in all his works. Uh, the reason that this is in here is because um, there was a copy of, of uh, this psalm that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And there were versions of it where this particular refrain was actually repeated after every single line. You see, the cool thing about this psalm is that David wrote it in such a way that it was meant to bring and invite the people to participate in worship together. And one of the ways that they did that is they would respond with this refrain, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Right? So this expression of God and who he was was made, and then the people would respond. All the saints are blessing God together. And so that was a part of what worship was for the people of God. They would gather together and they would worship as one people, chosen, saved, protected, promised by God, the people of God gathering together and doing that. And here's the amazing thing today. As the church, we are still gathering as the saints of God and worshiping together. Listen, church, there's something special about gathering together in the house of the Lord with the people of God. We say it's the house of the Lord on the Lord's day with the people of the Lord. There's something special about that. And some of us, we don't have to think that hard to remember back to the um, early days of COVID, remember that when everything kind of, we had to shut down and kind of pause for a bit and we were trying to do everything we could to still kind of gather together. Man, I uh, still sort of wake up in cold sweats thinking about some of those days. Like those were some hard, hard times, right? We were not worshiping together. And so um, it wasn't that many weeks, but it was enough. And so there's several weeks where I was preaching to a camera. Let me tell you, um, that was not fun. Just to talk to that camera, not be able to see faces to, to see the response and see who's and how you're responding. 
right? And that was hard for all of us to not be able to hear the voices of those that we're worshiping with and singing with. You're stuck with whoever was there in your house. Some of you did, you know, you had your cat and you're like, okay, let's go for it. Like this is, it's not how it's meant to be, okay? Those were like difficult days and we saw people were so discouraged. Why? Because we were never meant to worship in that way. We're meant to be together. We are embodied souls. We are physical beings. And so there's something special when we enter into the room together. I love that we have the technology to live stream. I'm sure there's a few people that took advantage of that with the cold morning. They're like, I'm just going to watch it. I'm just going to tell you though, it's not the same. When you're in the room and you can hear and see the people of God, something unique and special happens when the people of God are together. And we don't ever want to lose this. Hebrews, we looked at this recently. It says, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing right? We want to meet together. We want to gather physically and to do this together. Why is this so good for us? Well, I think it reflects the weekly rhythm that God gave to his people, right? For uh, ever since the Sabbath was instituted for the people of God, there was this weekly rhythm of remembrance and reflection and worship that happened for the people. And what we see is the church adopted in a similar weekly fashion, but moved it to the Lord's Day, See, Sunday is the day that Jesus uh, rose from the grave. It's the day that uh, death was defeated and, and sin was conquered. And so the people of God began, they were still early on, the, the uh, Jewish people were still gathering uh, at the temple for worship on Sabbath, but then they were worshiping Jesus on, on the Lord's day. And that became the day that the people of God, the church, was gathering together. And so there's this weekly rhythm that we have, and it's good for us. See, this is, there's something important about this time together. And so as we talk about the pillar, kind of panning back a little bit, the pillar of unceasing worship, it is certainly not just about this time, but this time is super important for us. This is, there's a lot of value that we have behind this. And so can I just encourage you with a couple of things of how to maybe even get more out of this time together? Can I encourage you with this, that you would, as you gather for worship, that you would be a part of what God is doing here, that you wouldn't uh, just kind of rush in as the service is starting and then kind of, I don't know if there's a game. Some of you think, I think there is a game where we're just trying to be the first one out of the, out of the building, right? The first one out of the parking lot. You're like, let's go. And uh, kind of getting out of there. You know, can I just encourage you, like, Part of the service is not just the uh, like 80-ish minutes that we're here in this room, but it's the 10 minutes, 15 minutes before, the 10, 15 minutes after. That's part of our worship together. To be able to, to, to encourage one another, to pray with one another, to interact together. That's part of that worship. It's not just once the first song starts and then the last song ends. It's the time around that. It is so important that we do that. And then even how we gather and, and, and the way that we sit together and interact together. I love it when I see um, people, uh, again, when we like, had that moment to just sort of turn and greet. Like, that's intentional. We want to know the people that we're around. But can I just encourage you with something? It's, you know, we can treat this a lot less like a movie theater, a lot like, more like a sporting event, right? What I, mean, what I mean by that? When you go to a movie, what do you want? If you can book those tickets, you want buffer. Right? You want some of those seats around you, a little, little bit of gap, a little, little elbow room, whatever, especially if you've got those recliners. You've got, you got to have that popcorn, all that. But um, I got the opportunity. I, I, I went to the game last week. I was, at, I, saw the, the, I was in Lambeau, saw the Bears and the Packers. And let me just tell you, everyone's trying to get close. Everyone's together. Like, it's like, I mean, I'm high-fiving strangers, and, and it's like we're all on top of each other. And it's like, you know, I don't know these people. I have like 18 inches, and I'm like pressed in there. And it was fantastic, right? But yet we come to church, and again, sometimes... Sometimes it's a little bit more like a movie theater, like, oh, let me just keep a little buffer rather than kind of close together. Can we 
make it a mission that nobody ever feels alone in this room. Can I just tell you, can I, can I, can I tell you something? Maybe you felt it before, but when you tend church by yourself, those of you that are married, you have a spouse alongside you, but sometimes that spouse maybe isn't there and, and you kind of come alone, or those of you that are not married, like when you walk through this door, sometimes church can feel like a really lonely place. Like you're like, who am I gonna sit with? Where am I gonna go? Would there never be anyone alone at any of our gatherings ever? Like, would we be intentional about, hey, sit with me, come over here. Like, why don't you, you know, let's be intentional with that. I know we can't like reset where we're sitting right now. I don't expect you to kind of get up and move at this very moment, right? And some of you, I know you want, you're like, don't tell them that. I'm, I'm glad that I have this buffer seat. I, and I know who you are too, because we've had conversations. Yeah, I know, I know, okay? I know, but here it's good for us. We're, we're meant to do this together. That's part of our gathering together is, is interacting and, and, and doing this together. When we sing to hear each other's voices, to be reminded, again, there's something special about going around the table and hearing others share what God has done for them. What we're doing in this room is we sing together, we're hearing other voices and being reminded that we're not alone in this. We are part of the community of God. Our faith was never intended to be lived out as an individual, isolated basis. We are meant to do this with brothers and sisters in the Lord. And listen, for a long time, we have sought after, tried to be a church that is intentional in our warmth and care and concern for each other. Hopefully you find this to be a friendly church. But that just doesn't happen. That's been fostered and developed and intentionally poured into. You are, if you're a part of this church, you are now responsible. You are now carrying that forward. That is your job to make sure this continues to be a warm and inviting and friendly church. And not just friendly on a surface level, like talking about, you know, sort of the weather or the, the game or that kind of stuff, but like, how, how are you doing, right? What's God teaching you? What are your fears? What are your hopes? What are your, how can I encourage you? Like getting below that level and doing that together is so, so good. But again, that's not gonna happen just on its own. That's part of our worship together. It's when the saints of God, it says, listen, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. We get to do this together as a family. And so we're very intentional about this time. Um, I kind of share some of this in step two, but maybe some of you haven't been, although it's a great day, you can come. We still have plenty of space. So if you were planning on coming to step two, you're gonna hear a little bit of this, but um, we are very intentional in the way that we kind of plan, structure our services. We are on a journey together. When we gather, they're gonna hear songs or we're gonna express um, invitation, songs of gathering, inviting the Lord to work, inviting the people of God to gather in. And so that's where our service begins. Then we will often move, and it's not always just through songs. Sometimes it's through words. Sometimes it's through prayer. Sometimes it's through um, baptisms. We've got some baptisms coming up in a couple weeks. Can't wait for those. But we will give testimony to what God has done. We did that today. We did it through song. We sang that song, Man of Sorrows. That's a song of testimony. It's telling the work of what Jesus has done. Then we move into a time of adoration and exaltation of vertical worship unto the Lord. And we said today that you are exalted over all, Lord. That's the song that we sang in that. So sometimes it's songs, sometimes it's other things, but this is this movement that we're on and we're, we're singing songs that hopefully engage us together and being able to express and engage in this together that are scripturally true and, and solid and, 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 and all of this so that we can worship with all the saints. So we worship the Lord with all the saints. And here's the fourth thing. We worship the Lord 
with all that you are. Worship the Lord with all that you are. This is the expression that we see throughout this, right? Let me point out a couple places. Back in verse one, I will extol you. I said that that is defined as exuberant praise. I will bless your name forever. Every day, I will bless your name. That's why we say that worship is unashamed. Every day, I'm gonna pour forth your praise, God. Great is the Lord. And what is our praise supposed to be? Great, greatly to be praised. Why? Because his greatness is unsearchable. Look all the way ahead to verse 21. It says, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Here's the thing. As we talk about worship, again, it's not, it's not just singing, but it's not less than singing. Singing is one of the ways that it kind of unites our, our emotions, our, our physical bodies, our, our minds, all that's engaged together. And we're thinking about expressing in multiple ways the goodness and greatness of God in that. And notice it says, all that you are, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever. Can I just encourage you with a few ways that maybe you want to grow your personal worship? Um, in no particular order, these are some things maybe to consider, but, but as you want to engage with all that you are, would you think about the priority that worship has in your life? Right? Like what kind of priority does this this gathering have? Does worship have throughout the week? How are you structuring your time so that you're reflecting the importance of it? This is the best and most important thing that we can do is engaging in worship together. Hopefully you recognize that, you see that. Maybe this year you want to raise it as priority in your life. Now, again, doesn't mean that you're never sick or never travel or anything like that, but when you can or with, with intentionality that you're here or that, even through the week that you're engaging in that, that there's priority. Secondly, maybe think about your preparation. What does it look like before you walk into this time? You know, one of the best things you can do is spend time on your drive or on your way here or in the morning meeting with the Lord on your own before you get ready to meet with God's people. Maybe think about the people that you're gonna see. Hopefully you've been praying for them throughout the week so you can't wait to see them again and check in and say, hey, how was that? I've been praying for you. What's the update, Right? praying for each other as we're traveling in and doing that. That's part of that worship. Preparing your heart. Lord, what do you need to teach me today? God, what are you trying to show me today? So we don't run, rush in here all frazzled, kind of missing part of it or sort of rushing to get in. That's part of that getting here um, in a timely way. It helps us to be able to engage with the entirety of what God is doing here in this place. And then when you're here, participate. What does your participation look like? Hopefully you get this and understand, but we've kind of, we, we're really intentional with, we never want it to feel like you're coming in here to watch a worship service, but you're coming in to participate in a worship service. Yes, there's people up here that are leading, but they're leading in worship and we're doing it together, right? Even the way that we kind of do our room, we, um, when we first got this building, we're like, man, this room is really bright, right? <laughs> it's really bright. But here's the cool thing about it. You get to see the people that you're singing with. Sometimes there's this growing trend where it's like dark rooms and, and, and dark lights and all this, you know, all this stuff, and you can't, you can't see. There's something about seeing and, and, and being able to engage in this together, to participate with that. And so can I just give you license? If you don't feel like you're the best singer in the room, you're probably right. You're probably not. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to like puff you up and, and tell you that you are, but I don't think that matters, right? It says, sing to the Lord a joyful noise. 
<laughs> you can sing a joyful noise, not in perfect harmony or key, okay? And you're, you know what? If you're near me, I would much rather hear volume and, and excitement um, than uh, kind of holding back and trying to hit just that right note. You can work on the notes. We're not saying you like don't want to like, you know, just that doesn't matter at all. You're not going to be on the worship team, okay? That's also not going to, but you can sing joyfully unto the Lord, right? We want to participate. We try and choose. We don't always get it right, but we try and choose keys that we can sing, right? We try and sing, like, sing songs that are singable. Not every song you hear on the radio or that you worship in your car with is going to be great to sing in this room. We try and be intentional with that because we want to participate. And so when we read scripture, when we pray, when we engage, that there's this, this involvement, that you're a part of it, that you're worshiping through that. And lastly, the, the physical aspect of our worship, I think, is so important. I had to put this in here because if you read through the Psalms, we don't have time to do it, right? But there's so many examples where it has physical descriptions of lifting your hands, of bowing your heads, of opening your eyes, lifting your head, lifting your hands, clapping your hands. There's, there's this physical part of it. And some of us, we grew up in maybe a tradition where like worship existed from like what we can call shoulders up. Like it's just the thoughts that I think and then, and then maybe some words that come out. But, but you know, we are, again, we're physical beings. There's, it's the whole of who we are. And so if I could, could I just encourage us to engage with that physical aspect of worship? And I'm not asking you to be something that you're not, okay? If you're super stoic and you never move around or get excited, then okay, I'm expecting worship to be the same. But I've watched, I've said this before, I've watched the package with some of you. I know that you can cheer, okay? So would our cheering outnumber and outweigh uh, much more the birth and, and, uh, and, and, and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ than some grown men getting a piece of leather across painted lines on grass, okay? Like that is far more to cheer about and get excited about. Amen? Amen. All right. If we're going to cheer or clap about anything, that's what we can get excited about. But that physical aspect of our worship, can I just say this? I think, I already mentioned kind of the, the, the dark days of COVID. I think we lost something during that time, right? When we had to stay home, and then as we gathered, there's like this social distancing, right? And then, there's, and then we had like masks, and we're kind of doing all that. Well, I watched the worship of our church just sort of like kind of calm down. And I think there's still these ripple effects of where we're, we're not quite back to where we were as a church. Some of you have only visited and kind of come to this church sort of post that, but can we maybe engage in a new way in this year ahead? I'd love to see us doing that. Why? Are we trying to go after something? No, we're trying to worship God with all that we are, and part of that is our physical being. Something happens when we do that. Again, so I'm clear for clarity. I'm not asking you to do something that you're not that like is unauthentic to you or do it for anyone else. Don't do it for me. I don't even see you. I'm facing this way, so I don't care. God sees it though. Do it unto the Lord. Would we express ourselves fully to the Lord and declare the worship that he is due? Again, worth, worship can be described as worship. Would we give him worth? Our Lord is great and he is greatly to be praised. Our praise is to be great. Let's pray together. God, you are our king and you are our God. Jesus, you are our savior and you have worked mightily on our behalf. And so, Lord, we, we give you the highest praise that we can give. God, the highest honor, the highest expression of that. Lord, we want to declare your might, your deeds. God, your care, your love, your mercy. God, your wisdom, your correction. God, your rebuke, God, your leadership, 
so many ways that you are at work. God, you are worthy of our praise. And so, Lord, we worship you here in this place today. Lord, we worship you throughout the week. Lord, help us to see you more clearly for who you are. Lord, we await a day when we will see you fully. And God, when we will know you more clearly and we will gather with the saints and all the angels and we will worship you in that place. And Lord, we want to express that now. We don't want to wait for that. God, you've called us to that now. And so, Lord, would you be the center, the highest place in our lives. God, we give you that place willingly, excitedly, God, exuberantly, with fervency, Lord, we declare that you are worthy of all of our worship. God, be exalted here in this place. God, be exalted in this church, here in this city. God, would you receive the praise of your people. We thank you for the work that you've done through your son, Jesus, and making that possible. God, that you receive our worship through your son. And so, God, we lift high your name. Amen.